Amen. You can be seated. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, worship team. Good morning. Let's uh, say thanks to our kids for joining us here for the first part two. Way to go, kids. Good singing. Thank you, teachers. Appreciate your service to us this morning. Uh, if you're our guest this morning, welcome. My name is Ross, and we are glad that you are here. As Garrett said earlier, there's connection cards uh, in front of you. There's also an app if you want to uh, download the CC app on your mobile. It's there and can give you uh, information about things that are happening here at Centennial Church. Um, some of you are here with us on Tuesday night. Let me uh, just encourage uh, us to give you a round of applause. We prepared 50 Christmas shoeboxes for the homeless in Dallas on Tuesday night, the Dallas Superman. We've had a, a partnership there for the last few years, and Christy and John Watkins organized a lot of that, and they took this week those shoe boxes filled with gloves and toiletries and, and hats and all sorts of things uh, that might be helpful. Uh, so thank you, Christy, and thank you, Centennial Church, for contributing to that. Uh, we're going to have one final Tuesday fellowship night uh, for 2019 this Tuesday, and uh, so I want to invite you to come back and join us at 6 o'clock. It involves breakfast for dinner. Can I get an amen? And uh, also a movie, okay? So we're going to scoot the seats back, put the big movie on here, and have uh, some cinnamon rolls, I hear, and watch uh, Die Hard? No? It's not Die Hard? What? Terminator, Terminator on Tuesday night. Uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, it's Paddington 2, I believe. So, uh, oh yeah, pajamas. Wear your crazy Christmas clothes or your pajamas. Okay, Bob? Crazy socks, whatever it is. Um, you know, it. I would, we have kind of a small crowd. I would encourage, if you, if you don't mind coming over here to the center, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand down here uh, while I'm talking. Also, we should acknowledge Jim Wilson is here with us this morning. Give it up. Jim has had surgery, got a pain pump uh, this last week, and uh, many of us have been praying for Jim. And also Ginger, as she puts up with jumpy, grumpy Jim. Sorry, Jim. Come back and you get treated that way. Uh, you should. Jim said thank you to everyone who prayed for him. So thank you, Jim. Glad we could pray for you. Um, what else am I supposed to say? Uh, fellowship night. Also, this season. Uh, is just an easy and obvious time to invite people to worship with us, to hear the story uh, of the coming of the King. So uh, it's obvious. Uh, we have a Christmas Eve candlelight service uh, on the 24th. Christmas Eve falls on Tuesday, so join us that Tuesday night at 5 o'clock. We'll do a family Christmas uh, Eve candlelight service, and so invite friends, neighbors, co-workers, and join us then, okay? Sound good? I am going to ask, where's Brian? There's Brian. Brian Krebsbach. 
is going to read our passage for us and pray this morning, and we will look into God's Word, okay? In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house of, uh, and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who had pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and laying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we, we praise and we thank you for your amazing plan of redemption. Um, and the, the precision timing and interlocking events that, that caused Jesus to be born in Bethlehem, so that the words spoken by prophets of old would be carried out for your greater glory and the salvation of all those who have trusted Christ for forgiveness. Open our eyes, God, to see glorious things uh, in your word, uh, so that the familiar story of Christ's birth in Bethlehem becomes increasingly real for us. Uh, help us to see your supernatural hand working tirelessly in the natural world, uh, to secure salvation for all those who believe. Thank you for the greatest Christmas present ever given. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brian. Appreciate it. You can keep it if you'd like. Just don't talk while I'm talking, okay? Who likes surprises? Who, like, you know, can't stand surprises? Like, just gotta know. Tell me, tell me, what is it? I have someone in my family that's like, I mean, they want to tell me what they bought me already, you know? Like, do you want to know? Do you want to know? Do you want to know? No, I don't want to know. I want to be surprised. I like surprises. Not everybody likes surprises. I heard about one surprise. I read about one surprise this week that I thought was brilliant. Read this story about this lady who decided to surprise her husband, so she collected all the Amazon boxes that she had had for the last six months. She collected them. And then they were all empty, and she put them back together, and she put them outside the front door before her husband drove home that night. So they're all just stacked there, just dozens and dozens of boxes. He was like, oh, isn't that great? I love that. Well, he was surprised, and it was a practical joke, but we, I say that because as we read this very familiar story that Brian just read to us, as we hear this Christmas story, we are actually meant to be surprised. We're meant to be shocked. Now, it's not God playing a practical joke on us. 
I said last week that the story of Christmas can be summarized like this from Luke 2. Christmas is the true story of the birth of a baby for the salvation of sinners to the glory of God. Correct myself, I guess I said that two weeks ago, right? Um, For those of you that are listening. Christmas is not a hoax, it's not a prank, but it is a surprise. It's, it's, it, it's a true story of the birth of a baby for the salvation of sinners. That's the piece we're going to look at closely this morning, the salvation of sinners to the glory of God, okay, and we'll focus on that next week. But we are meant to be surprised and astounded at what God is doing in this story of Christmas in Luke chapter 2. Okay, so let's look again at it closely, and this morning, um, I hope and pray, um, as I prayed this morning and this week, that we would not be lulled uh, sleepy by the familiarity of the story. Okay, this is the classic Christmas passage, Luke 2. I mean, this is what you read on Christmas Eve if you gather the family around. It's Luke 2. This is the classic story, and it's familiar to all of us. And some of us, as Brian read it, were, you know, we had Charlie Brown in the back of our mind as we could just heard it over and over. Um, but my prayer is that the familiarity of it would not just have us lulled, okay? Um, I need to be awakened to the true story of Christmas. We need to be stirred in our affections and our understanding and our passion that Jesus has come to us, that Jesus has taken on flesh and come to rescue us from our sin. Okay, so I'm getting ahead of myself here. But first of all, uh, Brian read the whole, you know, or he read 14 verses. I'm just going to focus our attention this morning on verses 8 through 12. Okay, so let's start here uh, with the shepherds and see what we can learn. Verse 8, it says, In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, is there anything uh, strange about that? Shepherds watching their flock? There's really not, isn't, is there? It's just, hey, they're going about their business. This is what shepherds do. They're watching their flock. But what we're supposed to be surprised about here as we read this in verse 8 and verse 9 is that the first announcement of the Messiah, the first announcement of Jesus coming is not to Caesar, is not to the teachers of the law or to scribes, but the first announcement, the angel comes not to the higher echelon, but he comes to shepherds who were just about their business, just doing what they would do every night, watching the flocks, taking care of the sheep and looking over the lambs that would be born. And the point here is to be shocked that when God decides to break in to history in the person of Jesus, he comes not to the upper echelon and not to people that are worthy or people of rank, but he comes to us. He comes to the unworthy. He comes to the lowly. People like shepherds and even Mary herself, a young teenage girl and and engaged to this young man named Joseph, who wasn't of rank, wasn't of reputation. We find out later in chapter 2 that as they go to the temple to offer a sacrifice, they have just 
two pigeons or two doves. It's the smallest of sacrifices for the poor in Israel at that time. The Savior doesn't come to the people that have it all together or have the resources or the people that life is going well for. The Savior comes, and the announcement of the Savior comes, first of all, to the normal, to the lowly, to the unworthy, and that is good news for you and me. And it's good news, as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, to those of us that don't feel exactly merry and bright this Christmas season. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it like this. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, The celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, and look forward to something greater to come. Shepherds, young kids, the down and outers, those that don't have it all together. This week I was talking to someone whose life has really kind of fallen apart and I was able to spend nearly an hour talking with this young man and I said, life is a mess and here's five, six, seven things that seem to be falling apart in your life. But here's the good news. The good news is, is, is that if Christmas is true, if Christmas is real, if God really entered this world in Jesus, then you have hope. Then this, this isn't all there is, but if Jesus really came and, and he came to shepherds and lowly people and people with problems, then guess what? You have hope because he came for you. He came for people with problems. He came for people that needed hope in a world that was just broken and hadn't measured up and hadn't attained what we thought we would attain or had more trials and disease and turmoil and brokenness than we thought. Christmas comes to shepherds. Christmas comes to you and me, and it comes, as we'll see in the next few verses here, to give us good news and great joy. Verse 9 says, An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And when people come face to face with God in the scriptures, it's terrifying. I think about Isaiah and other prophets in the Old Testament or uh, Moses when God said, you, you can't even look upon my glory as it passes by. Uh, so they were, rightly f they were rightly terrified and fearful as the angel and this glory of God, this great light shone around them. But then the good news comes in verse 10 and 11 because the angel says to them, don't fear. The appearance of God and his angels in the news makes them fearful, but the message of the gospel, the angel says, is fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Good news of great joy, that when God visits us, it's not for the purpose of knocking us over with fear, it's not for the, per for the purpose of punishment, it's for the purpose of bringing us joy. 
and good news that he's come to rescue us out of the mess that we've created for ourselves and the mess around us in this word. I love these powerful phrases. Fear not, I bring you good news of great joy. And not only is it for these shepherds, but notice underline perhaps for all the people. Good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. It's surprising that the Savior would come to shepherds, and it's surprising to these shepherds and to others that he would come primarily as a dying Savior rather than a conquering king. They're surprised by that. Now, there's several, there's three titles here uh, for Jesus that the angel announces. There's that he's the Savior, that he's the Christ, and he's the Lord. And Christ is uh, the Greek word for this Old Testament title, Messiah. Jews were looking for this deliverer, this Messiah who would come and put things right and throw off the oppression of Israel's oppressors, whether it would be the Egyptians or whether it would be the Babylonians or Assyrians, but they were looking for this conquering figure, this Messiah, and the announcement from the angel is the Christ has come. The Messiah has come, and it's Jesus, but it's not a conquering king. It's a baby lying in a manger, surprising, a helpless infant baby who will one day bring peace over all the earth. Now, there's two ways that uh, we still talk about Jesus coming, and there's that messianic peace, that Christ peace, the, the, the one who will bring peace upon earth, and there's also this idea that he is the Savior. And so conservatives like to talk about how every person needs to put their, their faith in Christ and kind of get their act together. That's kind of the emphasis of conservatively bent people is, hey, you're a sinner, you need saved, get Jesus. People of more liberal persuasions tend to emphasize this idea of Jesus as the Christ, as the Messiah, who's gonna bring a new kingdom and peace to the earth. And guess what? Jesus does both. He emphasizes here, even in his titles, that he is the savior of sin, but he is also the, the king who will eventually inaugurate his kingdom that will look radically different than the kingdoms of this world, that there is systemic injustice, that there are social ills that need to be fixed and addressed, that issues of injustice need to be overturned, but there's also this personal idea that each of us not only are in uh, a world that's broken by sin and injustice, but we also have turned away from God, broken his commandments and worshiped lesser things and other things. So we need both a conquering king, a Messiah, and also a personal savior. And Jesus is both. He's our savior. As it has been said, if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. 
If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness, so God sent us a Savior. A Savior that was waited for for years and years and years. A Savior that was predicted in the Old Testament and then foretold even to Jesus' father, Joseph, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. The angel tells Joseph, Joseph, give him the name Jesus. Jesus is the, from the Hebrew Joshua, which means God saves. Give your adoptive son the name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And Paul, the apostle Paul, will write in 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul will say, why did Christ come? Paul says, Christ came to save sinners. And then he goes on to put this commentary on it, of whom I am the worst. Why did Jesus come? He's called Jesus because he will save us from our sins. He's called the Savior because he can save the worst of sinners. Even Paul, this guy who had originally persecuted the church, had persecuted those who followed Jesus, God meets him on the road to Damascus and turns him around, literally changes his direction in life, and he becomes, uh, instead of a persecutor, the biggest proponent, the biggest preacher of this good news that Jesus has come to save. We need a savior. Now, you may not think that you need a savior this morning. Some of you may be very aware of it that you need a savior. Maybe you're thinking that it's really the world out there that needs saving, and it does. The world's a mess, is it not? And Jesus says he will return and he will bring a new kingdom in which righteousness, peace, and justice will rule. And that kingdom begins in the hearts of those who will admit they're sinners in need of a savior. Don't think you need a savior? Just think about all the, just think about your own standards that you set for yourself. And how you even fall short of your own standards. You know, I, I, I try to get back to people within 24 hours of them calling me or sending me an email. You know how often I fail my own standard? Like, that's important to me. And yet I can't make the mark often. I fall short of my own standards. And that's just one silly example, but in terms of our purity, in terms of our honesty, in terms of our love and compassion for others, we fall short even of our own standards, much less the standards of a holy God. And Jesus comes to this earth so that we don't have to pay the punishment for our own sins. But he was put on the cross. He came as our savior to take that punishment on himself so that we wouldn't have to take that punishment. We could be given forgiveness by his grace, by his substitutionary sacrifice for our sins. He comes for sinners. He comes for unworthy people like me and you.
And the good news this morning is that there is nothing in your past, there is nothing in last week, there is no sin, there is no guilt in your life that is greater than the grace in Jesus. Paul says, I am the chief of sinners, the worst of all sinners, and yet Jesus came to save me. And if he can save Paul, he can save you and me. That's why he came. That's why Jesus came, the birth of a baby for the salvation of sinners. We also see in these final verses another clue as to who this Savior would be. If you look with me at verse uh, 11 and 12 again, for unto, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. We go uh, at the end of verse 11 from the Lord, from the Master, if you will. I didn't talk about that phrase, Lord, but that kind of means master, roughly. Some of you that are Downton Abbey fans are my Lord. Not exactly the same in English as it was here in Hebrew and Greek, but my Lord, Jesus is master, Savior, Christ, Messiah, and also master. But it goes at the end of verse 11 from Lord, from master to this master we find lying in a manger. Verse 12, the angel goes on and says, this will be a sign for you, shepherds. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Now, maybe you've wondered before, as many people have, why this sign of swaddling cloths? It says this here uh, in verse 12, as well as back in verse 7, it, it emphasizes that Jesus is going to be wrapped in these swaddling cloths. And is that just a, a clue? Hey, shepherds, go find around Bethlehem. There's not many newborns born this night. Find the one that's wrapped up in swaddling cloths. Or is there more to it than that, perhaps? I was reading this week that some scholars believe that the cloths here uh, are representative of what the priest would often do with the sacrificial lambs. So some commentators believe that some of the shepherds mentioned here in verse 8 might have also been priests of the temple who would come and look out in the flocks for Passover lambs because they were going to sacrifice perfect, unblemished lambs for Passover, Right? Those lambs had to be perfect and spotless. So if these priests were included in some of the shepherds watching the sheep that night and some of those shepherds would give birth to perfect lambs, these, these priests would gather up the perfect lambs and what would they do to keep them unblemished and spotless? They would wrap them in swaddling cloths so they would not have any other blemishes as they were born. And then they would present those to families to have perfect, unblemished lambs for sacrifice. And so it's possible that this sign in verse 12 that the angel announces is to let those priestly shepherds know, hey, when you go and you see this baby that's wrapped in swaddling cloths, you are looking at the perfect sacrificial lamb. 
the Lamb of God given for the sins of the world. Remember John the Baptist, when he approached Jesus, he says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, wrapped in swaddling cloths, unblemished, perfect, never sinned, totally pure, perfect sacrifice for sin, wrapped in the claws of a lamb. Wrapped in, the claw, wrapped in the claws of the lamb so that sinners like you and me could be wrapped in the robe of righteousness. Our sin on Jesus and his righteousness put on us. The lamb of God who came for sinners. Let me just point out um, two implications, two applications from this story here, this part of the story, okay? The first one, obvious, um, he came for you. He came for me. He came for shepherds. He came for the unworthy. Have you welcomed the Savior? Have you received the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. My greatest gift you could receive this Advent season is not to eat a bunch of food and have a big party and open up some gifts, but to say, Jesus, I receive you as the perfect lamb of God who paid for all my sins, as unworthy as I am. Do you know Jesus? Or are you just kind of celebrating Christmas? Kind of going through the motions. No matter how messed up life is right now, no matter, no matter how much sin is in our heart or brokenness in our world, the good news of Christmas is that Jesus has come and says, I'm fixing it. This isn't all there is. And I'm giving my life for you. He came for you. He came for me. That's good news and brings great joy in the midst of trouble and brokenness. Not only did he come for you, but he wants to use you. He wants to use dirty old shepherds. And these guys are going to go and they're going to tell others, hey, we, we've seen the Messiah. And it's not what we expected. It's a surprise of all surprises. This is not the way we would have expected. And yet they get to be the first to hear and some of the first to go and tell. You know, there's some people in our lives that we need to go and tell. That we need to share the, the meaning of, of this message, that it's not about the consumerism. It's not just about getting together uh, around, the, around the living room with family, but it's about God having visited us, having invaded this world to bring hope and to bring forgiveness. And there's a lot of people next door to us, in our families, under our roofs, that we go to work with every day, that are on our teams, 
that don't have that hope, that think if there's gonna be a good life, it's up to them to make it and create it and find it. And we're so messed up, we could never get to God, but he so loves us that he descended down here to bring us life. And I just wonder, as we're thinking about this this morning, who might it be that you need to take this message to? Who might that be? Maybe it's someone in your home. Maybe there's a name that comes to your mind right now. Maybe there's a face of someone that you're gonna be with over the next few weeks that you just wanna have an opportunity to say, hey, would you come to this Christmas Eve service with me? Hey, can I tell you why I can find joy and hope in the mess of this world? I'd love to just share with you the hope that I've found through Jesus. He comes to the most unworthy and he uses the most unprepared and unlikely. Think about the most unlikely person you know right now to come to faith in Jesus. The most unlikely, the most unworthy. That's who the apostle Paul was. So shepherds, he loves you. And shepherds, he wants to send you to other people that aren't worthy, but desperately need the hope of Advent. Jesus has come and he is coming again. Pray with me. Father God, we just confess to you this morning that we uh, are sinners, that we have loved other things, that we're apathetic about you, God, and we put other things ahead of you. We don't worship you as we should. Oh Lord, save us from ourselves. Save us from our apathy. Save us from our idolatry. Renew our hearts and restore unto us the joy of our salvation. I pray that for myself, Lord. And Father, we confess that all around us, even in a place of money and affluence and new things everywhere, there is a brokenness that is inescapable in our hearts and in our schools and in our homes and our church and all around us, God, things fall apart and things break and things are strained because sin has infected our hearts in this entire cosmos. But we thank you, God, that in Jesus, you have come to rescue our hearts and rescue this whole world. That's the only hope we know. And we thank you, God, that we know it. And we thank you, God, that you can use us to bring that hope to those around us. And God, give us courage, give us boldness to do that. Jesus, thank you for coming. Jesus, thank you for loving us so much. You would bleed, you would suffer, you would die. And thank you that you conquered that sin and blood and death that grave 
and that we have new life through you. Holy Spirit, work in our hearts. Renew us, transform us to be like Jesus. It's in his name and for his glory we ask. Amen.